from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio and we are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA program for executives here in Philadelphia. And I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. We have the dream team in studio, Michelle and Dion. And we are taking your calls all hour at 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. If it's Thursday, noon Eastern time, we are live. And today we have a very special show. It is our Veterans Day special. Veterans Day is this Saturday, and what you may not know is over the past 13 years, roughly 2.4 million active and reserve members of the U.S. Armed Forces have left military service and returned to civilian life. In the next four or five years, another million will make this transition. So if you're a transitioning military member, a loved one or friend of a transitioning military member, or someone looking to hire from this awesome population, you are on the right channel because we're going to be talking about this important topic all hour. And to help us do that, we have two expert guests who will be sharing tips, resources, and advice on how to make this transition from military to civilian jobs a smooth process. So stay tuned, and if you have a question, tip, or you just want to thank a veteran, you can give us a call all hour at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866, or you can tweet at Dr. Don Graham. So on Career Talk today, our two guests are first Courtney Spath, who is the CEO of Growth Period, which has been voted in the top 10 places to work by the Washington Business Journal for the past three years. With widespread, widespread experience in both public and private sectors, Courtney served as VP of Homeland Security for Raytheon and as Director of Homeland System Solutions for Lockheed Martin. In 2000, Pre- President Clinton appointed Courtney to the Office of Assistant Secretary of Defense for Special Ops, Low-Intensity Conflict, where she was the assistant in charge of global terrorism issues. We also have Stephen Bryant on the show today. And he is Special Ops Director for the Navy SEALs, actually formerly Special Ops Director for the Navy SEALs. And after 21 years of active service, he is retired as a Lieutenant Commander and is currently a Business and Strategy Director with the Real Estate Ops Division of USAA. Steve participated in combat operations in 10 overseas deployments, culminating in the recognition for his heroism and service with two Bronze Stars with Valor Defense Service Medals and Army, Navy, and Marine Corps Commendation Medals. And I could probably spend the rest of the show talking about all the medals that you have there, Steve. So Courtney and Steve, welcome to the show today. And, and thank you for your time and your service to um, to the country and to the veterans here. So I'm going to go ahead and start with you, Steve, because we had talked a little bit about your transition. And I have, to, I have to pull a line that I found on your LinkedIn about what you used to do when you were in active service. Um, You wrote, SEAL teams execute naval special warfare activities to prevent transnational violent extremist organizations' activities abroad. Now, I looked at that and I said, okay, how how can Steve be transitioned into my civilian organization? So I want to know, as do our listeners, how do you go from that to where you are now? And, And how do you even figure out 
how to go from doing that type of work to a civilian job, Steve. Hey, good morning, Dawn, and I, I appreciate you uh, having me on the show. And I'll answer your question, but first I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. It's an honor to uh, be a part of your show today, and especially a special show with Veterans Day coming up. Um, so it is definitely a privilege to uh, have this opportunity today. And thank you for all those folks that are listening, and uh, congratulations on your opportunity uh, to be where you're at, whether you're separating or retiring. So congratulations goes off to you. Um, but I will tell you that uh, the road is not easy, um, especially from where I came from. Uh, in the type of environments that I worked in, um, it was a real challenge to do that transition. But I'll tell you the couple of points that I really um, took off the, from the start was in my mind, I was going to have a no-fail attitude, and that was really what drove me through the entire process. And what I mean by that is is some days are good, some days are bad. Some days you think, wow, there is nobody that is going to hire me. Some days are, wow, there's a lot of people that are interested. But I, what I did first is I set some goals. So first off, I decided, where do I want to be geographically? What industries do I want to be participating in? Um, for me, it was the gas and oil and also the financial industries. Um, I knew I was going to be moving to San Antonio. Um, and, Dawn, as I told you, it was, it was quite funny when we talked earlier. But I did. I retired and I chased a girl. Yeah, because I, I had asked for... you, I'd asked you, well, how did you pick a location? Because as somebody, you know, in the military, you've lived everywhere. And I said, so it's probably hard, never mind picking a job, but to pick a location. But, hey, that's, that's the best way to pick it, you know, follow a girl. That's right. <laughs> Followed a girl. And, yes, I, w- I took the bait. Um, and, yes, we're still together. Uh, but, uh, you know, I picked San Antonio as my target area. Then I picked the two industries. And then I picked, you know, and, and again, going along with the goal setting, what type of position did I want? Did I want management? Did I want entry level? Um, so deciding that level of responsibility. So you were very methodical about this, um, Steve, and I'm just going to jump in because I know there's so many points we had talked about prior to the show that, that were, I'm like, oh, that's great that everybody's going to want to hear this and we want to make sure we get these tips across. And, and so picking, um, I just want to kind of pull apart the no fail attitude, I think is, is critical going in and saying, I'm going to make this work. And I think that that is something that comes out of the military, uh, kind of training and attitude and culture. And then secondly, saying, okay, let me, let me start with my first non-negotiable. Your non-negotiable was location for you. So I'm going to follow a girl. This is where she is. Okay. So now that you have that non-negotiable, your second thought is what industries are in that area? What are the big employers? What are the big companies? Um, and then picking those. And and the reason I want to kind of tease this out is because I think this can be one of the most difficult parts of the process is where do I go now? I mean, as somebody who was doing, you know, work to prevent violent extremist organizations <laughs> overseas, it's like, well, how does that translate? You can't just Google that and say, well, this this would make you a good, you know, project manager. This It doesn't work that way. So so I think it's really important that we break down your process in this respect. And hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk, we have our Veterans Day special. And we are celebrating all the brave men and women in this country who have served. And you can call us all hour at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We have two great guests, Courtney Spath, who is the CEO of Growth Period, and Steve Bryant, who is a former Special Ops Navy SEAL and currently at USAA. And we are talking about how to make military to civilian transition. So, Steve, I want to I want to tap into something um, <laughs> that was a Freudian slip there because I was going to actually ask you about the TAP program. <laughs> and and can you tell people a little bit about what the TAP program is and then how it, it played a role or not in your transition? Absolutely. So, TAP is Transition Assistance Program, 
and it is a mandatory uh, requirement in order to separate or retire from the military. So it's something everybody has to do. Um, I think there's some good points out of out of the transition program. Um, I think there is. Um, they talk about benefits. They talk about resume writing. They talk about various different things. Um, but for me, it wasn't quite enough. I wanted to go a step farther. I wanted to do a lot of research. I wanted to make sure that I was properly prepared for that transition. So I dug a lot deeper with the Veterans Affairs, um, with research. And Steve, why I think that's important is because I know you said it's a mandatory program that people need to go through. And if if it's not enough, if it's not, um, you know, for yep, if it's not going to get you where you're going to go, I think that could lead a lot of people to feel like, wow, this this was, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do, and it's not working. So so I th- the fact that TAP is a starting point, but not the end point, is really important. And Courtney, I wanna I wanna have you jump in on the conversation here. So one of the things that you and I had talked about prior to um, today's show was was looking for these veteran friendly organizations, and that that term is not really regulated and doesn't mean the same thing everywhere. So Courtney, would, can you talk a little bit? about um, veteran-friendly and, and what military transitioning uh, to civilian individuals really need to look for? Certainly, Don, and I just want to take the opportunity to thank you for having me on the show and as well to echo Steve's comments and recognize all the men and women who have served or are currently serving our nation and thank them for their service. A veteran-friendly organization has become a bit of a branding statement. Everybody likes to say it. I don't think there is, as you pointed out, one definition of what that really means. And we have found, I'm chairman of Potomac Recruiting, and what we have found is, though everyone likes to say it, people interpret it differently in terms of how they are being friendly in their company to the veteran population. So it could just mean that they like veterans and are nice to them. It could mean that they provide financial assistance through a nonprofit, or it could mean that they really are actively engaged in hiring veterans, their family members, Gold Star families, and have done the requisite work to understand the cultural differentials that that really are important to not just attracting the talent from that community, but to retaining them. So how can somebody um, find out, Courtney, where on that spectrum a company lies? Is it just that, hey, we like this stamp, so, or we, you know, maybe we have a couple of veterans who work here, so we're going to label ourselves veteran-friendly, or if they actually do proactively have program services and, and hiring processes that are truly uh, veteran-friendly? So I think some of it is that you have to be a detective and value your service and your own self-worth enough to not look at it as you're courting their interests as much as they should be courting yours, which means that you should use your network of other veterans and their family members to investigate whether the company really does anything for veterans that is concrete, right, that they have accomplishments or programs. You can go online, of course, and investigate through job boards or reviews of the employer, what exactly is being reported sort of anecdotally about the company and other veterans' experience there. And then I would encourage you to ask them in your interview process, you know, bring it up and say, hey, you uh, attracted my attention for a lot of reasons, one of which is that you say you're veterans-friendly, and can you please tell me what does that mean to you and how will that affect me if I work here? 
So really getting them to to get specific about it. Hey, if you're just tuning in, it is our veterans special, and we are thanking all of the brave servicemen and women who have served our country and talking about military to civilian transitions. So if you have a question, tip, or comment, we'd love to hear from you, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. You can also tweet at... Dr. Don Graham, and just because we always like to provide some education on this show, for those of you who may not understand the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day, so unlike Memorial Day, Veterans Day pays tribute to all American veterans, living or dead, and it originally started as Armistice Day on November 11th, 1919, and became a national holiday in 1938 in the U.S., so there you go. Um, So we are talking with Courtney Spaeth and Steve Bryant, who um, are sharing all their best tips and advice on today's show so if you have a question don't hesitate to give us a call it's thursday we are live at noon eastern time 9 a.m pacific 844 wharton 844-942-7866 so so steve um how did you know when you were looking at companies that uh they were veteran friendly or did you even know that they were veteran friendly first i i didn't know at all um again i had narrowed my choices down to a couple different uh pretty large organizations here in San Antonio, and those were one of my first questions was, as a veteran, you know, what are your benefits for veterans? How do you, how do you recognize veterans, et cetera? Um, but then as I narrowed down those options, I mean, USAA being the absolute first choice for me, I mean, their mission statement is to provide the financial readiness for, you know, military dependents and their families um, and military active service members. And, and I mean, for me, uh, there's no mission statement that hit harder home than that to be able to continue to provide a service to my brothers, sisters, teammates that I served with um, exclusively uh, through USAA. And, and there's no better honor to do that as a civilian um, out of uniform. So it's pretty much a no-brainer choice for me. So Courtney was talking about how, um, you know, networking, and I definitely want to talk more about that because I think that's core to any job search. But can you can you share how social media played a role in your job search? Because what we know statistically is that 96 percent of companies uh, surveyed said they use this in their recruiting process. So can you talk a little bit about how that helped you, Steve? Absolutely. So uh, my platform of choice that I used was LinkedIn. Um, I developed a pretty robust LinkedIn profile, uh, and it's got probably a little bit more than most, uh, but it's, it's almost a mimic of my resume. And I'll tell you, um, and as we discussed in our, our conversation last week, um, I have gone the what I consider the conventional, I think it's transitioning to the um, unconventional way now, is to just apply you know, through applications online, through the online application process, which ended up being a dead-end street for me in 99% of the cases. So. Uh, using LinkedIn, I really started targeting organizations, and you can type the company name. It'll pull up various people that work in that organization and send customized um, messages to each one of them. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I didn't take the approach that I'm looking for a job. I said I'm transitioning out of the military. I'd be interested to talk about you know the financial industry, not looking for a job, um, just trying to find out if this is the right place for me. Um, when you place yourself as not a threat, as if I'm looking for uh, employment, they have a tendency to contact you a little more often. And uh, through that process, I literally just said, I'm not going to apply anymore. Uh, I am going to just build networks. So at each company, I try to at least touch with five to 10 different employees a day um, based on the type of 
position that I was looking for, and that was project program manager um, was my target area. So anybody that had that title, um, I would try to reach out to, and that was really the success of my job search. Yeah, and and we learned on a previous show on military to civilian transitions that LinkedIn actually offers free premium service to to veterans, which was which is a great thing to know, especially because you know that's that, you know that can be a, expenses add up. But in addition to that, Steve, you had talked a little bit about um, that there's free certifications that veterans can also pursue, which kind of are twofold. One, it obviously builds your credentials, but two, it can be helpful in figuring out what that next step is. Absolutely. There's, a, there's different uh, universities out there, and there's a number of them. You just search them, uh, and they'll give you that information in tap. Um, but they give free certifications. So, for example, um, I took mine on my own, uh, but I got a project management professional. Uh, being in the program management uh, field was what I was targeting. Um, but, yeah, they offer free certifications from program manager to agile to green belt, black belt, um, you name it, which is a great resource. Mm-hmm. And Courtney, as somebody who's hired um, and placed and, and, you know, been in a position to see this happening, are there certain things that you look for on social media or are there certain websites or or social media sites or ways to present yourself that you have found have been particularly helpful to veterans who are transitioning? So I think it's important to remember that when you're on LinkedIn, because I agree with Steve, and I think it's the most valuable tool for someone transitioning out of the military, is that it's a professional forum, regardless of how much the conversations in the kind of chat feed go, and that you need to have a professional photo. And if you want to use it for job networking, you must make sure your profile is comprehensive. It includes your education. It includes your interests and that it is not personal. Nobody who is recruiting off of LinkedIn or looks at LinkedIn for professional connections wants to know that you like cats or that you wear, you know, bright orange tuxedos. You know, the people who confuse it with Facebook are doing themselves a disservice. Mm -hmm. So so keeping it professional, um, having a professional photo, do you recommend, Courtney, that people use a military photo, so something that that shows them in uniform, or do do you not recommend that? No, I think you're transitioning out and you want to go corporate, so you need to look corporate. And I would put on a professional outfit, whether it's a suit and tie uh, for a gentleman or for a woman, you know, a professional-looking top, because LinkedIn really doesn't show, the profile photo doesn't show you full length, right? Mm -hmm. So you could be wearing sweatpants on the bottom, but wearing a nice (laughs) blouse and, and, you know, coat or, um, you know, an appropriate top and, you know, be appropriately groomed, et cetera. And don't kid yourself. The photo matters because people are human. And if you look like you're particularly militant, if you look like you um, are angry, if you look like you um, are very aggressive in your the way you're going about your photo, you're holding a weapon or you're, you know, standing over um, what clearly is a military operation train, that's not what corporate recruiters are going to relate to. Many corporate recruiters are millennials nowadays, and many of them um, have served and are currently serving in the military, but many of them have not. And it's a wide disparity between how their perceptions affect their reality. Mm-hmm. And, and Courtney, is there a way for, um, we're talking a lot about networking, are there there websites or maybe it's LinkedIn type searches or groups or things that um, where individuals who are looking to network with others who've made these transitions, how you recommend them finding um, you know, people they can talk to and network with? 
Well, I think, first of all, if you're going to reach out to a nonprofit, you want to make sure it's charity navigator rated so that it has an independent audit that ensures that its mission and financial support the end user, the veteran. Second of all, there are many nonprofits that you assist with transition, Hope for the Warriors being one of them that has a charity navigator four-star rating. Um, so you can always call them, and they can refer you to other local or regional networks that can be supportive. I think it's important that you have a corporate professional resume, and again, as I said, a corporate professional LinkedIn profile. And if you're guessing at it or your neighbor's doing it, unless they're you know, a professional at it, um, spend the money and get someone to do it uh, at Potomac Recruiting. They are veteran-friendly in a way that translates to they work with veterans, they make them a priority, they do transition resumes, they do transition social media, and they give them a huge discount on all of those services um, so that the veteran community can have that done in an appropriate way, in a corporate way, and not spend a lot of money on it. So also look for, you know, places that will assist you, like Potomac Recruiting, that, um, you know, really do provide a big discount and have a lot of experience helping veterans navigate the corporate world. So, and, and uh, you know, Potomac Recruiting, um, Courtney, so um, do you want to just go ahead and give the website so people know how to find you? Sure. Uh, it's www.potomacrecruiting.com. So very easy to remember. And <laughs> there you go. Vanessa That's ha- easy. Um, Vanessa and- Hoffman is the head of it. Vanessa Osmond. Okay. Um, and are there other websites or headhunters or other firms that, that, um, you know, that Courtney, you would recommend? Because a lot of people come out and they think, you know, oh, a headhunter, that's what I'm supposed to do to get a job, especially at the executive levels. Is this the, the best way to go? Um, remember, recruiters, unless they have career services like Potomac Recruiting, don't work for individuals. They work for companies. So they don't get paid to assist you in getting a job. They get paid by the company to find talent. So, again, unless they have career services and are understanding of the military or veteran culture or the transition process, in general, you're wasting your time. And, and unfortunately, um, you know, that's, that's your most valuable resource as you transition. And also theirs because they're, they're, they may be polite, they may be respectful, but they're not going to sit around making calls all day long to try and help you get a job. It's not how they make their money. Yep. So, and that's our goal for today is to to find the tips that work and to help people avoid wasting time on those things that sound like a good deal but but aren't. So, hey, if you've got a question for Courtney or Steve, or you would just like to thank people for their service, we are celebrating Veterans Day with our military to civilian transition show here on Career Talk eight four four Wharton. 844-942-7866. You can also tweet at Dr. Don Graham. We are here with the Dream Team taking your calls all hour. So if it's noon Eastern time, we are live. And um, I pulled some Veterans Day fun facts just because that's what I do. And um, <laughs> this is something I learned. There's not supposed to be an apostrophe in Veterans Day. So uh, Dion, did you know that? I did not know that. I did not know that either. So that's not the pre-break quiz though, but I just thought that was a Huh. A fun okay. fact. <laughs> um, hey, uh, you're listening to Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with Courtney Spath, who's the CEO of Growth Period. And we are here with Steve Bryant, who is a former special ops director for the Navy SEALs. And we're talking about military to civilian transitions. And Steve, I want to tap into something that Courtney started talking about, which was the resume, because you had an interesting approach to creating your resume that, that really worked for you. Can you share that? Absolutely. So uh, it took me a while to figure this out, 
but uh, as I went through this process, I, I worked out a pretty detailed um, methodology. So first off, again, targeting the program project manager positions, I looked up any company's uh, job request or posting, and I basically took all of the requirements that they were looking for and then wrote bullet statements for myself and what was applicable to me and then what I could provide for a company. So I looked through tens of hundreds of different job uh, postings, and I built one large resume with that was probably 10 pages with every single bullet that I could possibly put in there with all the keywords. And I used that as kind of my um, junk pile. So as I would go through different job applications, I would pull those pieces and make them very specific to to each job uh, job posting, especially for for example for USAA. Um, from there, I wrote two resumes. I always kept two. One was a one pager that was just detailed oriented, that had a lot of fag- uh, a lot of uh, figures, a lot of quantitative, qualitative uh, um, performance metrics from what I had done in uh, the military. And then I had a second resume that was about two pages, and it was what I considered my executive resume. So. The big difficult thing that I found was people didn't understand what, what organizations I worked for. So when you say you work for SEAL Team 2, what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. Or Naval Special Warfare Group 2? Um, people don't have a concept of what that is. So I, in, for each of my job positions, I wrote three bullets. The first bullet was explaining what I did in that organization. So what that organization's mission was actually tasked to do. And it made it very clear on what their mission statement was. The second bullet was, what my responsibilities were in that organization and how I helped them achieve the mission. And the third bullet was my quantitative piece that said, from the mission statement of the organization, from my task and responsibilities, what did I actually do? What did I perform? And what were my results in that organization? And believe it or not, most people like the executive resume more. I wrote it in first, first person, so it was I. It was all about me. It was very personable. It was almost as if you were having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had those two different types of resumes. Um, the first one-pager was my application to get into the door because regardless of what networking you do um, and who you meet, you still have to go through the application process. So you still have to submit a resume. You still have to go through the interview and all of that. So um, just because you network doesn't mean that's that's the end game. You've got to have those you know, business pieces in place in order to close the deal on any on any uh, job offer. And what I like about your process, Steve, is that it's it, it's trial and error. You're like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this one. I'm gonna try that one. And and while we, you know, we, we typically don't see resumes in first person, so using I, that worked for you. And what I love about that is that you know what the the job search process. There's there's a lot of. Um, I guess ambiguity is the best word. Like there's not, a, there's certainly best practices, but then if that's not working for you, you need to find something that does work for you. And I imagine that your resume um, had a couple of things going. One, you, you kind of demilitarized the language so that it made sense to the people who were reading it who may not have had that kind of background. You also talked about putting results on, which is critical because people want to know that not just what did you do or what you were responsible for, but how that played out and actually had an outcome or a result. And then I, I'm guessing the personalized aspect of it really worked because it got them to sort of get to know you, um, which obviously when you're going for a job, you want to build a relationship. So you were you were doing that. So uh, thank you for sharing that process with us. Hey, you're listening to Career Talk, Sirius XM, Channel 111. And it is time for our pre-break quiz. 
Quiz. There's a quiz. So speaking of resumes, if you have this type of employment experience on your resume, you are more likely to vote. If you have this type of employment experience, you are more likely to vote. If you think you know, give us a call at 844-WARDEN, 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brand. All 
Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio, and we are powered by the Wharton School Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We've got the Dream Team taking your calls all hour at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. And this is our Veterans Day special. Veterans Day is coming up on Saturday, and on the show, we are honoring all of our brave servicemen and women with talking about military to civilian transitions. And to do that, we have two expert guests. Courtney Spath is the CEO of Growth Period, and um, she is also former assistant in charge of global terrorism issues for the U.S. Department of Defense. And Steve Bryant is special, well, former special op directors for the Navy SEALs, uh, retired as a lieutenant commander, and is currently at USAA. And we're very thankful for both guests on today's show, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If you've got a question, maybe you're a loved one, and you want to help a transitioning um, veteran or maybe you just want to say thank you, you can give us a call all hour. If it's Thursday, noon Eastern time, we're live, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or maybe you are a veteran who has transitioned successfully, and you've got some great tips to share. We want to hear those, too. So we're going to go answer our pre-break quiz. So if you have this type of employment experience on your resume, you are more likely to vote. We're going to go to Lori and George. I'm going to give you a little bit of a breakdown. Lori. What's your guess? Hi. Hi. I think it's fast food experience. Fast food experience. That is not the right answer. Um, But I think we all have that somewhere in our resume. It's it's kind of the universal um, first experience that teaches us so much. Lori, thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. Dion, you're up. I am. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say custodial experience. Ooh. Yeah. I'm curious why you said that. Because I was going to say teaching, but that that's somebody else's answer. Michelle's? Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and throw my answer out there. All right. Teaching experience. You're both wrong. Mm. Boo. That was only one buzz, Dion. Oh. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> so he's not. So if you have this type of employment experience on your resume, you are more likely to vote. Um, Steve, do you have an answer? Oh, my gosh. I would say leadership. Leadership. All right. Courtney, do you have an answer? I would say um, civic, like if you've worked in any kind of local government job. Local government. Okay. So I know I know Dion is always asking me, does it relate to the show? Dion, it today does. Today it does. Today it does. Today it does. <laughs> of do you, course it does. Do you, have a, do you have a change in your answer then? <laughs> Um, it relates to the show a lot. Military experience. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if you're a veteran, you are more likely to vote than non-veterans. 70% of all veterans compared with 60% of non-veterans voted in the 2012 election and 13% more veterans than non-veterans voted in the congressional election. So there you go. Today, I, I thought this was going to be a, a softball, but as you know, it doesn't always relate to the show. So, So there you go. If you're a veteran, you're more likely to vote. So this is another interesting fun fact while we're on this. On average, those who have served in the military in the U.S., including men and women, earn more than those who have not served. So there you go. So, hey, on that note, Steve, we had talked um, prior to the show a little bit about negotiating and compensation and some of the myths out there. Can you can you share your experience on that? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I tell you what I would like to debunk um, or uh, prove incorrect 
uh, in a lot of cases, is this. Um, the messaging coming out of the military, and it's a pretty strong message, is that you know whether you serve 20 years, whether you serve four years, 10 years, it doesn't matter. The message is this, that don't expect the same pay and don't expect the same level of leadership when you get out and transition into the corporate world. Well, that I think for a lot of people that may be the case. Um, if you're willing to take, take an entry-level position or start a, a, a new, you know, in a new industry and you want to learn it from the ground up. But for me, um, I really took the different route. I said, you know what, I'm going to challenge myself. I set those goals, um, you know, again, the no-fail attitude of this is what salary I would like to, uh, to achieve, and this is the level of responsibility that I would like to come in at. Now, with that comes a lot of work. It is exhausting. And really, it's up to you as an individual, as a military veteran, on what you really want. If you want to put in the work and you want to own that effort, meaning you can go to you know, resources, organizations, nonprofits, um, TAP program, et cetera, but there's really only one person that controls your outcome, and that's you. If you want to put in that work, put in the effort, do the networking, do the resumes, um, and really go out there and really exhaust yourself, because it's an exhausting effort. Uh, if you give it 100%, you can uh, achieve exactly what your goals are. Now, not in every circumstance, but you can get close to it. So I would challenge each one of you out there that's listening to, you know, don't take that mantra. Um, it is for you It is for you to take or uh, to leave on the table. So um, don't let that message be uh, your guiding light uh, as you transition. Mm-hmm. Well said. And we are going to go to Mishana in California. Welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today, Mishana? Hi, um, we are newly separated from the Coast Guard. My husband served six years, and he got released for a medical situation, uh, that, and he's doing fine. And my question to you is, when we were released, we there wasn't really a clear-cut, I'm talking strictly with health insurance, there wasn't really a clear-cut, okay, you're going from TRICARE Prime into et cetera, et cetera. You need to call this phone number. You need to do this at this. And like I was telling the screener, um, I'm a resources person, so I was able to get all of my answers. Um, You know, I found all my answers. But I was just thinking, is there a one-stop shop place or like a packet that we could have been mailed? Thank you for your service in the military. This is your new insurance. You're going to need to call this phone number. This is for dental. This is for prescriptions, et cetera, et cetera. I just felt like we had a fabulous time in the Coast Guard, and they even took us to, you know, wonderful, wonderful places all over the world. But I just felt like it, with concerning health insurance, we were just kind of like drop off a cliff, dropped off a cliff. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for your for your service, Mishana. And and Steve, since you since you was my husband's service. Well, both of you. I mean, I will say that uh, being the spouse of somebody who's in active military is is not an easy easy feat either. So thank you both. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. Steve, I'm sure you had to deal with with something similar because you just you just transitioned uh, maybe just about a year and a half ago. So do you recall what you were given? I did, and uh, thank you for your service. Uh, and You're I appreciate your time, and um, it's great to say that now. Now that I'm retired, I can say that. So that's pretty special to be able to do that. Um, but there was—I will tell you—there was not a one-stop shop. Um, and even in TAP, I was really disappointed that you know they leave the benefits to the last day. They talk about it for three yes. hours, and you walk out more confused than than you are with any solid answers. And 
I will tell you, I spent my last four months just digging. I was at the clinics. I was at the hospitals. I was here and there, and I would I would ask multiple sources, and you'd get different answers um, depending yes. on who you spoke to. And and again, it's it is trial and error. It is hoping you get it right, and if you don't, um, having an alternative or a backup that that you can reach out to because Veterans Affairs is is um, they have a great organization, but it's difficult to navigate through. Um, the mm-hmm. healthcare system, and whether you're tracking crime, tracking your life, whether you're, you know the dental insurance coming out of the military is extremely expensive, and they only yes, cover you I, for I so long, and then they drop you, and you've got to know all of these little details. But there's no mm-hmm. travel pamphlet that tells you everything, at least from my experience. So, so get your dental right. work done before before you yes. leave is is <laughs> tip one. Um, Courtney, do you have um, do you have any thoughts on this topic about a a, a one stop shop or, or something that people can do to to maybe find some of these resources? So this is where your network becomes very important. Being friends with people from the Coast Guard who got out before you or from another service. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. they become your one-stop shop for answering questions. Unfortunately, there isn't a one-stop shop from a government perspective. And in the private sector, right. they're really it would depend regionally on where you are, how strong the local resources are to help transitioning service members. In some places, there yeah. are... You know, there's charities a, or nonprofits uh, that will help with that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So this is interesting to me because obviously this happens. We were talking about the numbers in the beginning of the show about, you know, millions and millions of people are transitioning. And it's interesting that I would I would have thought, um, Steve, that this would have been part of what the TAP program would have done. But you're saying it's not. So. So, Mishani, you are out there and, and trying not only. I have a husband who's a veteran, myself, who's healthy, 45. And a three-year-old son, God bless, he's healthy. So what we're operating now, we did, um, I believe it was not, gosh, I want to say, we got, I want to say six months, I might be incorrect on that date, six months of staying under the TRICARE Prime umbrella, same doctors, et cetera, et cetera, same prescriptions. And then they, I was kept calling, and then I found out that Humana, United, United Health via Humana, is what's considered our COBRA. So that's what we're running with, and we get we can get that for the next 18 months, but it's at a, a pretty high cost considering that both my, both my husband and I are starting over and we're self-employed. Right. So we're looking at about, you're looking at about 1070 a month for a family of three. Wow. So, yeah, so, and that's, like I said, we're both starting our businesses um, from scratch, and we've only been released six months. So it's a challenge, but we're making it. And both of us have two wonderful jobs that that luckily for us in the interim are paying pretty well. So we're okay. I was just confused because Anyway. It seems like there should be. And I'm glad you raised this question, Mishana, because, hey, if there's somebody listening who has some advice or a, a website or any insights on this, we'd love to hear from you. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're talking about military to civilian transitions all hour long in celebration of the upcoming Veterans Day to thank everyone for their service. And we're taking your calls all hour, 844 844- Wharton, 844-942-7866. Hey, for more great advice and tips, you can go to my website, dawnoncareers.com. But right now, I want to talk a little bit about um, the interview process, Courtney. Uh, specifically, what are some of the the kind of, if you kind of wrap up a couple of like 
key tips about the interview and how transitioning military can be more successful in that process? I think the number one key is to do your homework, research the organization. This is the best tip, I think. Know whether they're formal or informal. Always dress on your first uh, interview professionally, even if they're informal, wear the suit and tie. You can always take off the tie or, you know, uh, kick off the heels if they tell you, but always dress like an executive um, and know the organization so you can have questions to ask them. If you get nervous meeting people in those kinds of environments, practice. Get somebody you respect who has corporate experience in your life, a friend, a family member, to help you practice it at the kitchen table and have them ask you some questions in advance so you can think through and hone your answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and that's that's such a key skill for everyone to do, so I'm glad you brought it up, Courtney, because I think one of the things that people rarely do for an interview, um, you know, veteran or not, is practice out loud. And trust me when I say you do not want that first practice session to be a live interview, even if you have to stand in front of a mirror and talk to yourself. Trust me when I say you will learn all of your 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 gaps and your skill areas if you just take a few minutes to say it out loud. Hey, hey, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So um, when you get into the organization, I imagine that there's still a lot to learn. So you've come through the hurdles of figuring out what you want to do, which is which is a huge one. You've you've redone your resume. You've demilitarized your language so that you can get through the interview and make a connection. And now you're in inside the organization in a completely different culture. So, Steve, what were some of those things that, you know, in the first maybe 90 days you had to really adjust to? Wow. I mean, there is so much. I came out of, you know, out of Afghanistan and Baghdad, and uh, six months later I was sitting in a cubicle farm at USAA um, with people who had done just as much time in the corporate world. And I was was really out of my element. Um, I think the biggest thing for me, was expectation management. So I had to basically tell myself, look, you're not in the SEAL teams anymore. This is a corporate environment. Look the part, play the part, um, you know, and and start to build that network internally, Um, meaning get those people on your side, on your team, um, with, with your initiatives, with your role, with your responsibilities. So, and Courtney and I had had a conversation earlier this week, and and I personally am, am a change agent. Um, the challenges with that is I, I want things to improve, continuous improvement all the time. You know, in the teams, that's all we did. We were very quick. We were very agile, adaptable. Sometimes corporations aren't that way. And USA being 30,000 people doesn't move quite as quickly. So you have to get those people on your team um, that support you. Uh, and Courtney said it best. You've got to have that top cover um, and those people that are willing to say, yes, he's doing the right thing for our organization uh, and be there and be willing to step in for you. Um, so really, I spent my first 90 days building that network, understanding the organization, how it worked, the processes, the structure, how communication flow worked. Um, so really studying the organization uh, before I really jumped in and, and participated. Mm-hmm. And Courtney, you you had brought up a topic when we had talked earlier that I think is really important to talk about. And um you brought up the topic of invisible wounds. Can you share with listeners a little bit about what that is and the impact on the military to civilian transition? Absolutely. So many of our veterans come home without 
necessarily a physical wound but are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder or depression or some other form of invisible wound, which means that it's not something that a person who meets you can immediately see. It's not a physical disability, but it can be just as disabling. And you have to be very cognizant of where you are if you have an invisible wound in that process and make sure that you're working with a company that has programs and an environment that are supportive of that and recognize and respect your service and want to help you transition to work, but have an employee assistance program, have internal communities to support veterans, um, have a health plan that supports counseling, whatever it may be that you require, and also sort of set your expectations in a phased approach. You don't have to come back if you have an invisible wound and feel ashamed or frustrated by it. You should be straightforward with yourself, your loved ones, uh, and, and with your employer about it. And you should have this approach that like every kind of wound, it takes time to heal. And employers should have as much patience and respect for that as they do the ones that you can see easily. Mm-hmm. So you had mentioned, Courtney, about being upfront about it. And I was just kind of pulling some stats because I think one of the the, the challenges we're talking about all the different things that veterans can do to be more successful in the job search. But obviously, the, the, the other part, the other side of that is the hiring organizations and things they can do to to better support this. But there was a stat that that 24 percent of employers avoid hiring veterans because they fear things like um, PTSD issues or emotional volatility and things of that nature. So so how can how can we change that stigma? Well, I, I think, you know, that's an education campaign for a larger societal discussion. I think if you're an individual employer and you truly are veteran friendly and it's not just a slogan, then you can't ignore the large portion of veterans that have come home with these invisible wounds. And you have to change your mindset around the idea that this is not something to have as a stigma, but something that should be supported and treated and respected and given an appropriate place in your corporate environment to succeed and thrive with the appropriate attention privately. And I think you can't discount them from our workforce, and you should not discount them from our workforce, but you should be prepared to integrate them in a different way. Maybe they aren't the, the business development lead for their division. You know, maybe they have more of a back office role. It's what suits the circumstance, but if you're a truly committed employer to the veteran community, then you really need to give the thought and seek the help of experts who can assist you with designing programs to help those employees be successful. So, and this kind of brings on to a topic that's becoming more um, widespread about just mental health in particular. And as a licensed psychologist, this is this is always of interest to me that there's there's kind of more of a movement now for all individuals to to bring this up in the interview process. And obviously, there's different schools of thought on that for for various reasons. And so earlier, Courtney, you had said, you know, you should you should share this. And when you said that, do you mean in the interview? Do you mean, um, you know, in the process of, of talking to your boss once you're hired about needing help? What, what were you thinking in that respect? I think I would share it initially with other people, you know, in your network and discuss it with them quietly to say, does this company, if you're familiar with it, you know, people who work there, you've used LinkedIn and said, hey, Bob's sister works there, Susie's brother-in-law works there. You know, what do they do to support their employees if they have invisible wounds or going through a tough time? Do they have an employee assistance program? You can certainly, when you're interviewing, ask about the benefits. 
and say, you know, what comprehensive benefits do you have? Can you please be specific? And if you're not comfortable disclosing, you can say, what's your 401k match? You know, what's the copay for the medical insurance? Do you have an employee assistance program? I mean, you know, you can throw it in with other things. But I think then you have to have an honest discussion with yourself and say, if this employer does seem like a place where I can go and thrive and succeed and, and, and nurture and heal my wounds, then do I need to let my prospective boss know? And, and that's a judgment call. But I, for me as an employer, right, when we hire veterans, if they feel like based on the feedback they get that they can tell me they're experiencing that, we make sure to tailor the job that we have if, if they're qualified for it around that and are sensitive to that environment. And we will allow you to take time off during the day to go to counseling. If you'd like to weigh in on this, we'd love to hear from you. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with two expert guests, Courtney Spaeth and Steve Bryant, talking about military to civilian transitions in um, honor of Veterans Day, which is coming up on Saturday. So so let's um, let's really quickly kind of summarize some of the, the key resources and tips, because I want to make sure that I know we didn't get to cover everything we wanted to talk to you. But, you know, Steve, what are some of like, you know, if you can kind of think of the top two or three resources, books, um, tips or things that really helped you? What what are those? Well, Don, I tell you, um, as I said earlier, I really, as as an independent, a very independent person, I own this process myself. Um, I did use uh, one special resource, and that was Scott Seal, uh, who works with the Zendavis. Uh, I believe that's in Zendavis.com. Yeah, you're going to have to spell him. that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I would have to look it up I, to actually, I, it's, spell it's, it. It's Z-E-N-D-A-Y. Uh, F-U-S, I think. Zendavis. Yeah. Yes. F-U-S.com. Uh, I will tell you, Scott, uh, you know, Courtney, you mentioned earlier going through the uh, interview process and practicing. Scott gave me the boot camp of, uh, the intense boot camp of interview process. Um, and he was tremendous in helping me um, get through this. And we went through interviews after interviews. We would do post interviews with companies just, uh, you know, after actions. What could you do better? But I tell you, one uh, one point that I want to I want to stress with Scott is the thing that was successful in every interview that I had was identifying a pain point in that organization. Mm-hmm. So that allowed me to not only have a great interview, but I identified a pain point. Just ask them, what keeps you up at night? What is the one thing that keeps you up at night that that you worry about the most? And then once they disclose that, you'd be surprised because they'll disclose it. You provide a solution for that. And not only that, but that allows you to turn that interview into now they're not interviewing you, but you're interviewing them and you're giving them solutions and you're providing them options, which was really the selling point. So Scott Seal was a great uh, resource through Zendapus and then LinkedIn. Really, that was it. I didn't use any uh, of the nonprofits out there. I owned it and I, and I made of it uh, what I could. Own it and take a no-fail attitude. I love that. And, and Courtney, we have about 30 seconds. Can you share some of your um, kind of closing tips on on how military to civilian transitions can be more successful for our veterans? Like Steve, working with Scott, whether you work with someone from that organization or someone from Potomac Recruiting, I would say the best thing you can do is try to get with an advisor or a counselor or a recruiting firm that has expertise in helping you transition and really let them assist you. Be open to their suggestions and feedback. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. And Zendafus.com, Z-E-N-D-A-Y-F-U-S. So Scott Sill is an affiliate. He's our entrepreneur or executive in residence here at Wharton and, um, you know, a, a very, very helpful partner in all of this. And his tool that we've we have started to pilot is, is an excellent place to go, as well as LinkedIn, as well as taking advantage of all of those free programs that that are offered through universities to get certified in your PMP or, or whatever that is, as well as the free LinkedIn premium that comes with being a military. There's so many things out there that you can take advantage of. And one thing we learned is that there isn't necessarily a one-stop shop. So part of the the access needs to be your network. So get out there and talk to people and find what you need because it, it's definitely out there. Courtney and Steve, you guys have been excellent. It's been wonderful to have you on the show for the hour. Thank you for sharing all of these great tips. To all of our, our veterans, and our current military serving, thank you for all that you do. Michelle and Dion, you always make this show so fun. And, of course, to all of our listeners, the show is here for you every week, and we appreciate you tuning in to Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. For more great advice, you could go to dawnoncareers.com. And we will see you next time. 